It's an endless stream now. In honor of all this, what's the most bingeable TV show? First of all, it's a shame that no one's going to be able to see uh, Dave's hand motions that he did for all this, but, but everyone can imagine their heads. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I think it's Breaking Bad, which I haven't watched since it ended, but my in-laws just started it. And when I found out they were about to watch it, I was really jealous. So maybe that will be my next binge watch. The Breaking Bad is not bingeable. It makes you feel horrible, but maybe yeah, compa- but it's it, but it makes you like compulsively put on the next episode. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I binged it, or I tried to during the Obama years when things were like mellow. Maybe now it would be. A oh, comfort. that's true. That's true. Uh, and more bingeable. Anyway, I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to say the Good Fight. Uh, which is the CBS All Access. Uh, I would highly recommend doing like a free week or whatever they give you on cbs but uh it's the spin-off of the good wife which you could also binge and i highly recommend it good procedural with lots of overarching arcs and great characters and lots of comedy threaded through but if you want something just blistering and angry and so fulfilling the good fight oh my god the first episode of the new season it's back baby holy shit greatest episode of television in years my god it's all about the characters waking up and and in a in a uh, world that where Hillary Clinton is president, and then realizing maybe uh, everything is shitty anyway, so it's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm Dave with the seven, and I don't want to choose between The Simpsons and Lost, so I won't. And that's how you do a concise answer, Pat. Weak. Weak. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 298, Pandemic 7, colon, Pandemic 7. (laughs) <laughs> for the week of Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. That was the day that in 1976, Barbara Walters hosted the Today Show for the first time. She became the first... The, the, it says making her the first network nightly news anchor. Must be first female. On the Today Show? Female. First female. Nope, first whatever. She invented it. Barbara Walters. <laughs> Don't look it up. <laughs> I mean, if you told me that, I would probably just go with it. I couldn't have... Um, only ask Siri and this podcast for your facts. Uh, we lost David today because he is back from paternity leave and he is learning the tra- the tragic reality that Patches and I have been living in for weeks, which is that, uh, parenting and working at home is, uh, really fucking hard. So good luck, David. We look forward to rejoining you next week when your brain cells have all regathered because I understand why they're in and all of Good luck to right all now. of our, uh, listeners with children who are going good through the Good luck to same. all of us. It's week six as well. It, this is pandemic seven. This is week six of not having childcare. Um, I can't Ooh, believe you can we'd make remember. It far. I mean, I went back on last night. I was like, it feels like week six. And though you're not counting the days. I guess there's no day to count down to. We don't know how long it's going to last. So it's not there like should be a reverse advent calendar. calendar for the pandemic <laughs> where we open doors filled with chocolate that yeah, count up endlessly. <laughs> Do you guys have Easter candy in your house? We did until I no. ate it all. Wow, you ate it all. Yeah, I, in one of the first weeks of the pandemic, I bought chocolate and fake eggs and plastic eggs for an Easter egg hunt. And that was a very dad move of me. I was on top of that shit. Yeah, you were. 
We've been doing a semi-regular Easter egg hunts and uh, the Easter eggs are filled with like Easter candy and also like leftover Christmas candy and like all kinds of shit. Semi-regular? Like we do them like once, like Charlie hides the eggs and then we find them and then we hide the eggs and Charlie finds them and it's like, it's an activity. It's not bound to a day. It's not like Easter Bunny keep, no, 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 like and the Easter Bunny is not doing any of this. We know that we are the ones hiding the eggs. You could hide other things. You don't have to hide the Easter eggs. You could just hide things, play a game where you hide things and he has to find them. Uh, well, we have a gazillion Easter eggs, so why not I don't know if that's that. a good inst- thing to like teach your children. Like, if you hide my things, then I will look for them, and that will be a game. <laughs> I feel like they instinctively uh, somehow know how to do that, but <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we were uh, I, I don't, like we're skipping the reviews part of it, but we were fixing a gate in the backyard, and Charlie was playing a game where he hid the drill bits and pretended to lose them. <laughs> And, like, Michael didn't know that that was the game, and so he got mad that Charlie had lost the drill bits. So, uh, <laughs> this is what we do to entertain ourselves now. Charlie didn't lose the drill bits. He hid them, but he knew where they were the whole time. That's what happens when you're three and a half. You get smart. And hey, Pat, do we have any reviews? We do. We have one new review. Uh, it's from review writer Beckzod, who says, Love the pod and the cast. Hey, everybody. I've been listening to you since your Drive review on Opkino. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. I have been waiting, or I've been wanting to write a review for the last four years, but never got around to it. I love your conversations, love the hot takes, love the quarter quells, loved the random references to La Jetée. I can't believe I still get surprised when David describes a good movie as garbage. Almost had a heart attack when I heard the <laughs> podcast was ending last year. It did not. Love that you guys talk about video games. Thanks for the laughs. P.S. I often use somebody's opinion on a movie from this podcast as my own when arguing about a movie with friends. Good. You should. That's what we won't I feel tell. like. That's half the reason yeah. to, to listen yeah, to these. That's things. like our primary opinions use. are given for free. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to seed my ideas. This is Inception, the podcast. Ha <laughs> 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 uh, Well, if you would like to also pass off your own our opinions as your own and then leave a review about it, you should. Leave us a review. David will read them when he comes back. It's pandemic check-in time. I don't really know anything that you guys have been watching. I feel like I usually have some sense of it. Um, but we haven't we haven't done the brain download yet. Patches, you spent the last week. When do you want to talk about it? Do you not want to talk about leaving the state? I really don't have anything to say about leaving the state because I went, I drove to Pennsylvania and I drove back to Pen- from Pennsylvania to New Jersey and the roads were clear. It was eerie. Nothing has happened. Time has stood still. I'm really losing track of things, especially when we, we mentioned having kids and it's like every day is exactly the same. <laughs> you might have heard we like, have kids. I mean, <laughs> even when you, you're working or you're not, I'm working on some big projects right now, and it just means that, like, truly every day is exactly the same. I think this week, oh, yes, this week I caught up on Tiger King. Well, you haven't really talked oh, about it. Oh, you did it. Podcast. I did it because. I haven't watched it. I've been resisting because then everyone decided the guy was problematic, and I was like, good, oh. something I don't have to watch. Yes. I mean, he absolutely is. I mean, it's tricky. I've seen a lot of hot takes because it's the biggest thing on the planet. It really was. For many weeks, it was number one. Netflix now displays its top 10 most popular shows and movies, um, which is a, a, a boon for people like me who want to know what 
people are actually clustering around and talking about them. Tiger King was certainly the biggest thing ever. It feels like a mistake. I was talking to some friends the other day who work in production, and it really feels like something that Netflix underestimated and kind of just like dropped on the platform. Uh, not a lot of promotion. Not a lot the of people who I work with were pretty convinced it was going to be a big deal early. So there was some sense that like in, from us, at least that something was coming, but I don't know how much that came from Netflix knowing what they had. Yeah. I think, I mean, they get, it's like every show they give people screeners. They let sure, people preview like, their stuff, but I don't it was, think it was presented in a way that made it seem like, Oh shit, you got to watch this. Yeah. I think the other thing is in true Netflix style, the whole documentary is haphazard and it's made by vile people. If you go read about the, the makers of this documentary, they're exploiting workers and they're problematic and they have their own narratives going on. And it's just sloppy work. I mean, I think years ago we talked about um, a documentary series on Netflix called Making a Murderer. And I just really went to town <laughs> on how much that made that bothered me because it was a kind of a formless documentary. It was a really sloppy documentary. Not to, And that's not actually knocking the, the creators of that show so much. I think they were just young and they stumbled into a, a great story and they tried to tell it with the, the resources they had. And Netflix does not give notes. I mean, it's just a thing you, if you talk to Netflix creators over and over, you, they, these people don't get notes from the executives and the shows. They just churn things out and everyone's left in their, to their own devices. And it's like, they clearly just picked up this really sloppy documentary that it, that was broken into chunks, um, and was too hot to handle. Like all the networks turned it down. That's why they did the podcast version. And then Netflix picked it up when the net, the podcast started blowing up and, uh, the, the show is intriguing. The, the story is wild. It's just vile. And it's, it really feels like a parallel to the Hillary Trump election. And, oh, er Christ. and in a way that why would anyone want to watch this? Enjoy it. And it's the same reason people love talking about Trump, even if they hate him on, on t t Twitter and how they have for the last four years. It's like they can't stop. It's a vortex. It's just, we, we want to dunk on people or we want to, be voyeuristic. I, I don't know. It's it, it was not an enjoyable experience to watch. We watched all of it. Um, I just wanted to know what was going on in pop, popular culture, but uh, I, I, I had problems with it. <laughs> it's not clear. I can't recommend it. Are you glad it. you and watched then, it? Am I glad I watched it? I'm glad I watched it from my occupational perspective. Like I need to know what's what mass culture is globbing onto. I think it's important for us to know that. We're in this moment where we can't check ourselves, where things can be so popular and we can't look away. Um, it's just sad. And I don't, and the rise of popularity for Joe Exotic, the kind of virality of this character, whether it's memeing him or I just saw that there's like a, a Tiger King comic book coming out. Um, they're definitely going to make a movie version. What's that going to, it's going to be like a lifetime movie or something. Um, there's a Tiger know. King face mask available for sale somewhere. <sighs> Absolutely. That's March probably 2020. At, probably at the zoo you. in Florida. Um, not that the Which people who, uh, not, yeah, I was about to say, not that the people in Joe Exotic's orbit are actually quarantining. Um, they're probably protesting. Uh, yeah, the whole thing, it's just, it makes me think a lot about Trump and kind of gawking at these characters and how, there are followers of these people. There's actual people who love Trump and, and believe in him as, as a cartoon character or an avatar 
for them. He, he feels like pop culture. He doesn't feel like politics. He doesn't feel like real life. He's above it all. He's a wrestling superstar who's slamming all the dumb libs or whatever. And so there's people who, who idolize him. And then there's people who gawk at him, who spend 24 seven in my feed for some reason, just talking about how miserable he is and, and making all of our lives miserable by, by looking at him. We can't, this, this narcissistic vortex that we all get sucked into. It's exactly what Joe exotic is. It's what it's not, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people have come for the, the other woman on the show, Carol Baskin, um, who has her own issues, but, uh, there's definitely some like, oh, everyone is bad on this show because they're being framed by this manipulative documentary that wants people to side with Joe Exotic at sometimes, even though he's the worst, um, and makes this woman look really bad and makes her look like a murderer. And, I find the the tactics of the documentary, again, to be really disgusting. And it doesn't surprise me that stories have come out that the guys who made it are just as perhaps vile as um, the characters within. I don't know. The whole thing is a swirling mess. We're just getting to the end of these four years of just feeling horrible. And we're all – it's like the most horrible moment. You're suggesting of we're, almost end, we're almost at the end of feeling horrible? No, what I'm a, not. What an idea. I, sorry. What Let me pull it back. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that if uh, – I'm going to get super hot political here. If uh, if uh, Georgia is about to open its its movie theaters back up, that was a big story that was running at Variety, among other things like music venues and restaurants. And but I have to imagine if movie theaters open up and everyone starts going to the movies and nothing happens, then yeah, this is the next the next four years will be exactly the same because all the precautions we took during this pandemic were silly and pointless because everyone was everyone in Georgia was able to go to the movies. Without getting sick, I thought so. you were going to get hot and political in the mini segment, so you might be a. Uh, I, I I I don't know. Maybe I'm snowballing. I'm in in week eight of the pandemic. I'm feeling just. <laughs> You're going to have a YouTube channel. Angry. I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> feel this angry. I want to. We're doing a good job. We're all staying in. We're listening to people. It's it's amazing that everything feels so hot to the political touch at the moment. Like, this is a no-brainer. Let's just ride this out and and listen to scientists and listen to medical healthcare providers and do what we're told. But everything has to be a fucking war. Um, not to get too political. Not Sounds to get like too maybe political. you shouldn't have watched Tiger King. Let me throw this out here. I also watched <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. Okay? Ah. A gentle, sweet, loving movie about because you, toxic because masculinity. Because you watched Crash? Yeah, yeah, because I'm following that. Yeah, following the narrative. <laughs> I had to do the other side of the coin this week. Um, I don't know if you have watched this film. Broke back mountain nice. I had, I had, but you know what? Link, thinking back, I'm like, where did I watch this movie? Me, I guess. Dave, were you? Oh, and I, I remember in going to see it. College uh, at that point was that? Two, that was 2005. Yeah, you, you guys right? were in college. That was just you. I was in college. You guys were in college. So maybe NYU would have had a screening of Broke Back. Without Lee, I dr- I drove our, our, to like an indie theater in like New Haven to go see it when it was still out in limited release and wasn't in my college town because like it was like it was such a big thing that everyone wanted to go see. When was the last time you watched Brokeback Mountain? Maybe that. Maybe that one it, time. I, I haven't watched it in its entirety. I think I have seen it in its entirety since then. But I I have watched. I let's see because when we did our big twenty five like best scenes of the yeah. century thing uh, a scene for Brokeback Mountain was on there and I think I watched as many clips as I could to help build that in some way I can't remember exactly how they came together anyway me, I haven't watched the whole movie in a long time let me ask you the two of you what what do you think Brokeback Mountain is about having not watched it recently Dave should talk first 
I don't know. Like, uh, I've just been talking a lot. I no, I know. Re- me too. Re- relate relation relationships. I don't know. When have I seen it? In the fat, like, probably not since two thousand seven at the latest. I mean, Patches, you just said it's about toxic masculinity, which I like to think. Oh yeah, I kind of gave away my point. Already said it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's about like the like like living in a culture that is so like harsh and uh, like male driven and like kind of sandblasted, like in the landscapes, or even so brutal that you're not allowed to have any feelings whatsoever. And the idea of like two men falling in love with each other and like not being able to express feelings whatsoever, much less for each other, and how it uh, destroys both of them. Yeah, what Katie said. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the the movie, I mean, I think the thing I remember most about Brokeback Mountain is how it was, it was marketed to everyone who was voting for the Oscars, probably, or just like, how can we get people to go see this movie about gay cowboys? And it was framed as this, like, epic romance. Don't you think the marketing framed it that way? Or, Katie, you might have a better sense of that. Yeah, like, I remember it being well, framed as a love story. Like, I remember, like... Yeah, the the idea of not that it's like a you know it's a tragic romance. I don't know that like that was specifically marketed. I don't think it was seen as being like you know love triumphs overall. Yeah, no, it's a, it, you're right. I mean, it was framed as as a tragedy, obviously. But this movie is about the female characters, even though they're not the stars and they're not in it that much. It's it's really about how like if you create a system that's so oppressive to certain types of people, um, they will get so desperate that they'll destroy other people that they love. Like the scenes with Michelle Williams in this movie are tragic. Anne Hathaway only has a few scenes and her stuff is really just so sad about she gets on the phone with Enos Heath Ledger's character at the end of the movie. And it's just like, it's definitely Ennis devastating. Ennis, Enos, <laughs> Enos. I don't know. <laughs> it's not Enos Jack that twist. rhymes with penis. Why would you name anybody? Enos, that? Enos rhymes with penis. It rhymes with penis. Yeah. <laughs> Maniac. You don't think that's on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> no. God. Fair. Um, the point is, Heath Ledger's amazing in this movie. Absolutely stunning. And there's just so many things. I, I, I had an idea of what this movie was about, and it was nothing like that. It was, it was really about frustrating maniac men who had nowhere to turn. And, and I really believe that Ennis is like, uh, the most repressed individual. There's a scene in this movie where his dad, he, there's a flashback to his dad taking him to uh, like a riverbank where a, a gay man has been dragged to death. Why does his dad show him that? It's so bizarre and it must be because he's been repressing these feelings that he has for men for so long or that it happened when he was a kid. And then you have Jack Twist who seems to like just a total sexual entity. And by the end of the movie, he's not even thinking of Ennis. He's just having sex with another guy. He's going to move on to the ranch with another guy it's just like all there's so much complexity i don't think it's that i I think i mean my memory of it is that he's like transferred he's like got someone he loves who he can't have so he's like settling for other people i don't think it's that he's not thinking of him i don't know this time watching it again i just think they're on different wavelengths and that and this is so so repressed the whole thing (laughs) the shirts at the end is that he's thinking of him the whole time well that's because his heath ledger's character is so in love it's definitely, I, I, I mean, it could definitely be read both ways, but this time watching it, I think it's Heath Ledger looking for love more than both of them being t- in total love. Um, and that Jack Twist is a bit of an a-hole player who's trying to just, like, get sex. Um, but, like, it's his closet that the shirts are in. 
I know. I know. So he like held on to this shirt from Ennis. But like, he was about to come to the ranch with another guy. At yeah, the because it's he, pronounced he couldn't penis. be with the person he really loved. <laughs> it rhymes with penis. The whole it the, rhymes the most with devastating scene in the whole movie is Heath Ledger finding those shirts in the closet and like having this moment to himself that he couldn't actually have with him in real life. I'm telling you that mo- but that was the past. This is that was the old Jack Twist. I don't know. I don't I'm not sure. I have a lot of feelings about it now. Wow. I just think Baby there's like it's man. I think it's more complex. I think the shirt thing that you're talking about is kind of a is kind of the 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 moment that has stuck in time that's made this kind of a a tragic romance more than a complex portrait of different repressed men in a period of time where all sorts of men were just destroying each other for different reasons. Just like sure, one I of the, don't, one I of the think... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the wildest scenes of the movie is about male ego in a different, totally different setting, which is um, Jack is is sitting down to Thanksgiving with his family, and the football game's on, and he turns it off because his son won't eat dinner. And then his father-in-law stands up to turn all, the TV back on, and his father, his Texas big brooding father-in-law's like boys should watch football and then jack twist gets up and turns it off again he's like shut the fuck up i will slap you if you <laughs> turn this tv back on i'm like holy shit this has nothing to do with the romance this is, this is not what this this is what the movie is about this is what the yeah, movie works on so many different levels more than what the kind of superficial oscar framework of this movie was and it was really revelatory watching it again yeah, I don't think the movie like needs you to believe that they have this like love that will last the test of all time, like like super tragedy. I think it's about all the stuff you're talking about, and the reason it's called Brokeback Mountain is because that is the place where they met and were away from all of that. That they could be who they were outside yeah. of all the strictures of society that would not allow them not just to love each other, but like to be fully realized human beings. No, I guess I'm I remember this movie better than I thought. <laughs> Jack, Jack Twist yeah. wants to be with Ennis, but he can't, so he is trying to get with other men. I'm going to do better to try to be next week, be the person that uh, counteracts patches his hot take of whatever he watches. (laughs) (laughs) What did you watch? Uh, I have two things. One, I'd like to give a friendly reminder to everybody that DuckTales season three has started airing on Disney XD, or you could just buy a season pass and uh, on like iTunes or something and watch them when you could digitally download them. DuckTales, it's amazing. If you have Disney Plus, the Rescue the Rangers are on the show now. The Rescue Rangers Dave, I was were going on the to show. Ta- I was going to talk about DuckTales because I haven't been able to... For some reason, Charlie won't watch the new DuckTales, but we've been watching the old DuckTales. Um, it's good. That song is <laughs> it's now part of me. Yes, good. Just let him do the old DuckTales like we did, and then he could do the new DuckTales later, and he'd be like, oh, I remember those. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he'll age into it. Good. Anyway... Goofy's in the new DuckTales. He is, yeah. It's like a full Disney universe now. Yeah, it's bringing all like the Disney afternoon back together. Uh, Fowl is like the big bad of the season, which were the Darkwing Duck uh, supervillain characters. Anyway, all good. Uh, And then the second thing is uh, for my other podcast about Lost, we do like a Patreon bonus thing where we talk about uh, different pop culture storms that we're chasing. And it came up while we were talking about action movies that I'd never seen National Treasure. So I watched National Treasure for the first time 
because it's on Netflix and did not like it. So Dave was right. Mm. Dave of the past was right. Kind of too dumb for me. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a bad movie, like it's bad, people should feel bad for watching it or you shouldn't watch it. Just too dumb for me. And then like to the point where like individual lines were grating on me like 30 minutes in and 30 minutes from the end. And there was just not a lot of uh, fun to keep me keep me bolstered in there. Uh, may, will I do the second one? I don't know. I'm locked inside. So I don't think it's out of the question for me to watch the sequel to a movie I didn't like. But at least the first one, not charming enough. Uh, not Nick Cage enough. Not, not National Treasure. Not for me. Uh, what did you do this week, Katie? Uh, well, I've been watching DuckTales. Uh, there's a new Inspector Gadget on Netflix, um, which has, uh, I mean, the animation style is fine. The new theme song, the new theme song helped me realize that, uh, Ride of the Valkyries was the inspiration for the original Inspector Gadget theme song. I don't know if this had ever Wait, heard to what? you guys. It goes, like, that's just, because they incorporate Ride of the Valkyries into the new Inspector Gadget theme song. That's Hall of the Mountain. Uh, Oh shit! Right, what's that right about yeah. this? <laughs> dun, 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 oh right, okay. Yeah, I was it, like, am I, what am I missing about Inspector Gadget? Take everything I said. Put Hall of the Mountain King in there. I know things about classical music. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, Inspector Gadget is fine. There's like a teenage like boy nephew of Doctor Claw who like helps him in all his schemes. So like he and Penny are kind of on the same level, which kind of makes sense. So it's like whoa, an evil kid, Penny. No, well, no, I mean, yeah, I guess that's basically what it is. Uh, the cat's still around. I like the, I like Dr. Claw's cat. Um, what else have I done this way? I talked about One Fine Day last week. I don't know. I've been watching stuff for Little Gold Men, so I watched Ordinary People, which I will talk about in Little Gold Men, so I don't need, have either of you guys ever seen Ordinary People or watched it at any point recently? Oh, yes. Really? I think yes. I watched it with my parents back in the day. What streaming right. service? Is it on a streaming service right now? It's not. I, I had to rent it on iTunes. It was uh, a while ago. Yeah. This is the one where about his, uh, about the family and the son and the son. Yeah. The son. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the sons <laughs> dies. The other one is like struggling and goes to see his therapist who is Judd Hirsch. Who is Mary a Tyler Moore is in it, right? Therapist. Yeah, Mary I know. Yeah. Mary, that's it, it. That's what I remember. It, Cause it's like the, yeah, the first time I saw Mary Tyler Moore not being Mary Tyler Moore on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. It holds up in interesting ways. It does not hold up in interesting ways. Um, I, I find it fun. You know, I wasn't alive in 1980, but it was like close enough to it. Yeah, fun. Hi, hi. I mean, it it's is a hoot. funny in parts. I mean, it's also just uh, like, like one fine day that I talked about last week. It's like the one of those studio movies where you're like, holy shit, they made a movie of this and they put it in movie theaters. Uh, I feel like we'll we need to find movies. something for you to watch that is not work related and is for you. Oh, what should boy. you watch? Uh, I rewatched two episodes of 30 Rock the other night. Jesus, not again, Katie. One. <laughs> 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 That's for me. It's Endless. For me. They make new television. They spend billions of dollars a year making new <laughs> television. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Have I talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine in a while? It's great. The new season is excellent. I can't bring myself to watch it. Why not? You don't like Andy Samberg? I don't know. I, I struggle. I struggle. I mean, it's okay. No one has to watch anything, much less a network sitcom. But I do. It like feels Brooklyn a little Nine -Nine. too like we're friends and everything's happy. Everyone, the way people talk yeah. about Brooklyn Nine Nine, it's all about like friendship and, that is, and bonds. That is what it is. If you are looking for a show about the police, don't watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. 
Oh boy. Yeah. If you have weird, if you have a, uh, not weird attitudes, if you have uh, mixed enough feelings about the police that a cop comedy wouldn't work for you, you don't have to watch it. Uh, shit. What was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, you know, what's the thing that I gave myself this week? I didn't watch Westworld and it felt great. <laughs> you know, I started what? <laughs> watching Sunday's episode and I didn't finish it and it was great. And I don't care. Let me just say I don't something. Care what happened. Let me just say something here. I didn't watch it either. <laughs> you mean this whole new season about architecture didn't stick with you? I have no idea what's going on. I saw a there was such the good architecture in, in this newest episode. Damn it! I gotta catch up. <laughs> you can just Google image search the locations of the shot at and accomplish the same thing. I can just like stand real close to my Mac laptop and look at the curves, and I pretty much got it. Yep. Uh, all right. By next week, I'll have watched something that's not for work. I promise. I mean, I'm watching a lot of DuckTales and Inspector Gadget. Are we not giving me giving me credit for that? No, I'll give you credit for that. You're doing Cartoons well. are great. <laughs> I'm going to work on the new season. I'm going to work on new DuckTales. Uh, and I'll let you know, Dave. Woo. Nice. In this week's mini segment, I'm apparently getting angry. Um, I don't know. I had an observation. Not sure where this is going to go. Um, we won't have David's uh, highly pedantic uh, observations <laughs> on cinema with us today. But I was mm-hmm. counting on it. But um, here's, here's my thought. We've had a lot of uh, yelling this past week. Some specific people screaming in all caps on Twitter about how we need to liberate some states in the country. I guess because there are people out there, and I've seen them on TV. And by seeing them on TV, I mean I've seen clips of people who insist on sharing these clips on Twitter. Um, for reasons I'll, I don't totally understand, because this is not a widespread issue. But it becomes one when... People put it on Twitter. But I've seen protests of of people asking to go back outside. People who are worried about not being able to, like, buy mulch from Home Depot and things like that. I saw, actually, Tim Robinson was online spoofing people, which sounds right. Tim Robinson literally bought mulch from Home Depot today. (laughs) You can buy mulch from Home Depot. What are people worried about? I have bought mulch from Home Depot recently. (laughs) <laughs> you just have to stand in line for 20 minutes at a socially distant uh, six feet, and they'll let you in, and you can buy your mulch. I don't really know what people are upset about. I know in Michigan, specifically, they were telling people, like, for now, don't even go across the street to your friend's house, which, you know what? I'm not doing that either. <laughs> like, I'm not really going across the street and seeing random people that I would enjoy the company Wait. of. I think it's a little disingenuous to say you don't know what people are worried about. Like people are worried about the economy being in free fall and everyone like 22 million people being unemployed. Like there are real things to worry about. Oh, I, I know why people are getting upset. But the the what I'm specifically talking about is like these protests where people are talking to news cameras and shouting about like being able to go get the things that they need or, or they're being held back. Um, and 
I, I think what I wanted to touch on with this podcast is because we talk about the power of cinema, we talk about the power of movie and TV making um, and shaping our conversations. I feel like I've been moved by the the camera work actually of these uh, the framing of these conversations. There was a sh- there was a photo that was taken um, of the protests, I believe, in Michigan, where people were like storming the doors of City Hall, and a photographer from the inside captured them, and a lot of people were memeing it because it looked like the zombies in Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead was trending on Twitter the day of this photo because it looked so precise, like a carpet copy of the zombies, and um, it just got me thinking about how. Like the power of these images seems to really amplify this issue. It's very difficult to tell what's going on in the world right now. And I'm not sure that the manipulative power of, of TV camera work and photography really helps because we think that there are large issues and we don't know what's going on. And, and I just feel like I'm, I get, I get worried and maybe I'm overthinking this, but do you think that I'm not, I'm not going to call this irresponsible. Do you think that, like today I saw a shot, of like a helicopter shot of the protests that were happening in Michigan outside City Hall. And uh, I'd call they, that were, they were like a super wide shot. They were a super wide shot where it's like, oh, wow, only 10 people are there. Like no one is showing up to this. No one is really having a problem with this. But you do have a president who gets tweet, who's tweeting about a movement, quote unquote. But the way that we see photos of these of these protests the way we see interviews where we're cutting from like single shots to single shots makes it seem like there's real volume to this that there's real magnitude and i don't know is this is this cinema working against us or is this what you do this is just how we live i i I don't know i'm lost in this moment and i'm kind of like pointing a finger at our our cameras or something i'm going crazy dave what were you gonna say Oh no, I think it is I think covering these are is irresponsible, period. And I don't think it's news. And if it is, I like am aware of other different types of protests that are not getting covered and in some cases, you know, get more people attending it. Uh whether it's like protests to release, you know, prisoners or protests to house the homeless or protests to release ICE prisoners. Like these things are happening all over the country. And it feels weird that they don't get covered, covered as much as these gridlock ones, which makes me think that it's not a method. It's not something where it's like, let's cover the news because it's like a legitimate concern. Because I think if you were to do that, then you would be covering like debate or something. I think, uh, the action that's on display here is dangerous and portraying it as more uh, widespread than it is, actually makes it more dangerous. The same way that I'm a big fan of wearing a mask outside basically any time I'm going to be seen, regardless of you know what sort of distance I'm keeping with somebody, just because it's also sending the message that this is serious. Because I don't know how it is for you guys, <clears throat> but when I do go out to, you know liquor stores or grocery stores uh, or just outside to like take the garbage out the people I see you know without masks at this point are like people in their mid to late 20s and single people who don't have children uh, like family units people who are actually going out to work and that sort of thing are all walking around 
with masks, but I think there's a group of people who probably are not watching the news, but, you know, maybe make time for stuff like Twitter and Facebook or Instagram, you know, where, you know, jokes are not, you know, we have uh, the coverage of these sorts of things. That's That seems a little dangerous. Like, I don't know how comfortable I would be with, like, coronavirus short-form comedy on TikTok or something. Like, the stuff that I find interesting in, like, social media content now is stuff about, like, how people are coping with, like, being inside. It's not, let's make zombie jokes. Hmm. Uh, I, I just want to be I feel clear. like I see uh, a decent number of people wear masks. Yeah, well... Yeah, yeah. Well, as, uh, Dave, as Spider-Man, you were already wearing a mask whenever you were going outside to in front of people, mm, so... Um, anyone can wear the mask. Oh, you just told me everybody I was Spider-Man. That seems oh, kind of uncool. I'm sorry. Yeah, delete, but, delete, okay. Delete. <laughs> Katie, what do you what I do you find- make of the uh, mise-en-scene of the pandemic? <laughs> I don't know. I'm with Dave. I don't want to cover those protests. I don't want to read about them. I don't care. But isn't that the entertainment uh, of the moment too? Like I, I, no, I struggle. No, it's not entertainment. It's bullshit. Ignore it. I, I'm, As soon as I don't watch Trump's press briefings, I don't need any of it. I'm not saying I think it's the entertainment of the moment. I'm just saying when nothing is happening in the world, when all of the responsible people are inside and there's protests happening, what else can you do? If you put on a new show... Uh, You can look at the paparazzi photos of Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas taking their daily walks in their neighborhood, which are hilarious. Speaking of mise-en-scene, so Ben Affleck was holding a Dunkin' Donuts uh, like iced coffee. Now, I've seen some speculation that it could be actual like paid advertisement. Do you think that Ben Affleck is getting a cut from Dunkin' Donuts to have a a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee in his hand during quarantine? Mm -hmm. Is that something that happens in the celebrity industry? I don't know. It definitely is something that happens for like like Z-list celebrities. I don't know if Ben Affleck would go that way, but I also don't know what his finances are like. So who knows? Maybe Dunkin' Donuts has like really freed up some advertising dollars that it was planning to spend on the fall. And now it's like, <laughs> how do we advertise in this ben day Ben Affleck and age? leaves the house with his new girlfriend. I mean, I know yeah. like... I don't know any insider information. I am confident that they are taking these walks so that they are photographed. Like this is all a deliberate strategy towards something. Um, so if he's making money from it, then I don't know, I guess more power to him. I think more celebrities need to be walking around and doing hijinks to distract America from these protests. If the only thing that our cameras can point at are protests by a vocal minority about something radical, then perhaps our celebrities are not doing what they need to do, which is distract us by they being outlandish. They did that outlandish. whole thing on a Sunday night, that whole Global Citizen concert thing where they all played in their couches. Yes, Billie Eilish. I think, I, I think what you're saying is that, like, television's kind of failing us because in terms of, like, internet celebrity content, I feel like there's, like, way too much that I have not been able to keep up with that I would otherwise be interested in. Like, Joel McHale and Ken Jeong are doing, like, a vaguely community-based podcast apparently and like i haven't even had time to listen more than 10 minutes of it so i think the certain celebrities are well then again joel McHale also did the tiger king recap episode so maybe certain celebrities are just hungry to do the work you know well john krasinski's doing his like feel-good youtube show but none of these people can make news 
they need to make news that disrupts the uh the problem is the world's biggest celebrity is the, also the president and how do you compete with that airtime everyone wants uh, politics is the entertainment how can any of these celebrities they've been outdone by cameras that are pointing at people screaming about being shut inside and wanting to be free like i'm sorry john krasinski your youtube show about positive things is not going to solve the world because you're you're in your bubble man well but then you're saying like why isn't john krasinski saving us from the president which i also feel is unfair so, like well, what he more was do you rumored want john to play krasinski captain america <laughs> fair he's jack True ryan yeah, Jad, you should just save all of America, Jack Ryan. Harrison Ford would have done it. Alec Baldwin would have done it. I'm just saying, maybe state government should create laws that force news cameramen to have a certain wide-angle lens at all times to create absolute truth. I'm that bitch. Yeah. Been that bitch, still that bitch. Ah. Will forever be that bitch. Uh, guys, I'm getting worried about the Oscars. I feel like we, I mean, we've all been thinking about the Oscars in this time, obviously, in the, in the list of American institutions that we feel are troubled. We've got, you know, movie theaters, we've got small businesses, uh, and we have the Oscars. There's, it's, it's on everyone's mind. Will they be um, bailed out? <laughs> will they, can we bail out the Oscars? Can we bail out um, the Oscars? Obviously, a lot of movies that were supposed to come out this year have been postponed to next year already. Obviously, there's a lot more of them. It's unclear how they can come out. Um, can is probably going to be canceled. They at least aren't going to be able to happen in June like they said they would. Can sold. Can canceled. Can um, sold. It's the status. Like Venice says that they're going to go on as usual. So it's like maybe Toronto can find some way to carry on. But I think no matter what, the usual Oscar season process will not happen as it usually does. Um, they won't be able to schmooze and go to all these events and fly people around the world the way that they usually did. Um, and I think all of that is fine. I think having some kind of adjustment to the way that the Oscars work is fine. But where I really start to get myself spooked is wondering um, not just if theaters will reopen like I think you know as, as in Georgia they're going to reopen movie theaters next week we'll see how that goes um, but if studios or even small distributors or anyone is going to say listen like no one's going to feel comfortable going to a movie theater until there's a vaccine we're not going to release X great movie that we really believe in we're just going to wait and not put anything into theaters and then we get all the way into the fall and there's nothing really substantial that's out there and then all of a sudden the entire notion of being able to gauge the year's quality films goes out the window um i think the solution that i would hope the academy would look into is uh accepting streaming or accepting like more limited qualifying releases like not giving up entirely on theatrical windows but like maybe making a one time exception obviously netflix i would imagine is hoping to for accommodate that. what to accommodate movies being able to be eligible, to be seen. Like if, if more studios want to go the trolls route and just release their movie entirely on VOD rather than waiting an entire year, maybe more to release it at all, um, that not releasing it in theaters won't make it ineligible for Oscars. I see. So to get a deluge in the fall and winter of, of movies that have not come out yet that could still be eligible, even if they're going probably straight to Probably not even a deluge. I think anyone who can afford to wait until theaters reopen probably will. Um, and I think, you know, you can imagine, like, all kinds of smaller distributors, like Searchlight's on by Disney, obviously, but, like, you don't know what A24 is going to do. Like, they make a good amount of money off of theaters. They, they might be able to 
to ride the whole thing out um but enough like to let have movies come out like it just seems like we could get a whole bunch of garbage that studios don't really care about maybe a tent pole or two that kind of have to come out for various reasons and then everyone else taking a bath on the year and that gets really depressing for me and um the oscars are a small part of that but i think could be a real um carrot at the end of the stick to convince people to actually release their movies and i would hope that that might actually come to pass uh, the reason I think this may not be a problem is just like in terms of doing the math, let's say theaters do start opening up as soon as next week. And given, you know, assuming social distancing continues to work, that's the beginning of a slow roll of theaters opening. Stuff's already been pushed back too far that the stuff that they'd be booked in the theaters, if you have multiplexes opening, like, are you going to have AMCs in Kansas, like, with 10 screens of Emma still? Like, like there might yeah, be... Yeah, I don't know. The Trolls World Tour re-release, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, no, but uh, something like that, and then using, not lifting the, maybe loosening the idea of, like, how long it needs to be in theaters, but basically keeping the theater requirement theater release requirement for the Oscars could be a way for the industry to force some movies to be in multiplexes that aren't just trash like Mm -hmm. you have to fill those multiplex movie theaters and so like if you're gonna have you know mank ready fingers crossed why not also put it in some theaters (laughs) you weren't planning to not the concern that's a netflix movie like they've got not for you no we're worried about that well but like either way even something that could have a streaming release, like also allow it to like roll back and go into theaters because you're going to have gaps in whatever a theater release schedule is. If they start opening state by state, not with like some sort of national plan, then it's down. Like there isn't a national government of theater directors. They're going to be all these tiny theaters trying to get new prints of whatever the fuck's out there. It might, there is a national association of theater owners. It's called NATO, which is funny. Um, but no, <laughs> the I, other I think, data and, and I, yeah, exactly. And I can imagine the studios kind of like joining hands with AMC and Regal, et cetera, and being like, all right, guys, like for your sake, we're going to release Mulan. Like it's not going to make as much money as it would if we waited until later. But you know, I mean, I can't even imagine some of the contracts they're going to have to get re- renegotiated to get some of these things out there where like some actor had it built in that like the, there's so many prints would be struck. I mean, prints aren't struck anymore, but anyway, um, that it would have a minimum release theater count. Like all of that's going to have to get renegotiated. Um, but I do think you're right, Dave. There's some way to be like, all right, your movie has to play in theaters for two weeks. It doesn't have to be in New York because you can imagine New York theaters not opening until August or something. Um, but finding right. some way to kind of like make it not a huge financial burden, but like have it within the spirit of having a theatrical release Um, because the Academy has been among the people who have been fighting. Like they don't want the window between streaming and theaters to go so like small. That's why Netflix has been like playing ball in some ways. So they have been really stuck to the idea of the theatrical experience. So they might have a lot of cards to make it possible for these theaters to have something to show. Yeah. I just think that they, they're, they're as invested as anybody else is in the continued theater life system after this is all over so if theaters yeah. start opening up they're going to want to put something in there and i don't see national chains when they start opening up becoming like revival cinemas so i would think that yeah. if we get to the point where we're actually flattening a curve we might start seeing a rush of movies back up the schedule 
uh, if it's in time to make things like if it is going to turn out that there's going to be like a later can or a Venice and a Toronto. And so there is going to be some prestige stuff up there. There might be a pull forward rush, like a reverse tide uh, of movies I mean, just to fill is, that gap. Is everything get being completed for release on time, right? Like everything that's supposed to come out in the fall and the winter, is it going to be done now that this has happened? Um, I was listening to a really interesting podcast interview with Neil Moritz, the producer of Fantastic, no, not Fantastic, Fast and the Furious, um, and Sonic the Hedgehog. And he was talking about the new Escape Room sequel that's supposed to come out later this year and how post-production is continuing. They're watching dailies over Zoom, but it's just so slow and it's so impossible. <laughs> and it's, it's like they can't get things done on the track that they want to, but they're trying to get as much work as they possibly can done if and when the movie can come out. Like as if it can hit its release date, great. If it can't fuck, like we'll, we'll keep working yeah. and make sure it's ready. But I wonder like where all the movies, I don't know enough about the timelines of some prestige films that would come out in the fall and the winter. If they were like done in time, some of these movies have shorter yeah, schedules. It's, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. really hard to know. And it's not, well, but like, also, yeah, if it gets called off with like less than half of its shoot days remaining, like if you only have like four or five shoot days, then you're running into like a fucking, what was that Michael Fassbender policeman movie? Is it just called The Policeman? The Snowman? No, snowman. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't where know why they it's didn't. The snowman. It's the Mr. Policeman movie. Yeah, they didn't actually get to shoot the entirety of the script because they're just like, you're out of money, production's like over. That had to have happened to a certain number of productions where it's oh, just like, yeah. they were, they had like Paul five Schrader, days left. Paul Schrader is on Facebook, like right now, you can go to Paul Schrader's Facebook page and see him ranting about this, about he shot a movie with Oscar Isaac and they didn't finish. They had like five or six days left and he's just debating. Yeah, and no one's going to pay for that to start up again. Yeah. No. Yeah. So does he, does they, does he just like try and, connect the dots and make the film work or does he release it with like storyboards where the scenes are supposed to go or something like it could be really weird um but does he just hold on to it and try to plug like a hole in the 2021 release schedule whenever we're gonna need those half-finished films yeah but like katie when when you start sizing up the oscars i'm just like what i don't know what 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 do you hope will happen you're right everyone's gonna want to keep films until the the moment they can make the most money. Um, and I mean, in, in theory, all the theaters are open and we're like going to the movies in September, October, November, please let Dune come out. That's all I'm asking. Um, but oh God. I don't I know. I want um, in the Heights to come out. The movies, um, the, the September through December is going to be blockbuster heavy. If we can go to the movies, then like all of the movies that were supposed to come out are now going to be crammed. It's going to be black widow and, and, Godzilla versus Kong and Dune and Top Gun Maverick. I mean, already blah, a blah, bunch blah. of them have gotten pushed, though, and I imagine more of them will happen as it becomes clear, like how many people. Because you know, even if theaters are open, like 
a lot of theaters might be operating at like mandatory 50% capacity or something. Like, like when's the next time you're going to go to a movie theater and sit next to a stranger for two and a half hours? I'm not oh, sure I'd do it. Until these movie theaters the are not going to be at full. Co- yeah. They're not going to be at full capacity until a vaccine. Yeah. So like they away. might continue moving these blockbusters out. And I think Oscars wise, the thing I hope about is like something that's kind of the parallel story to all those blockbusters elbowing each other out is that there's space for smaller movies, some Netflix titles that might play in theaters, some like other indie labels that might have a more a smaller limited release and kind of set up some way to do VOD. But there's a way to kind of rally around them and shine a light on these movies that like otherwise, you know, so many movies like um Emma or um Never Rarely, Sometime Always, these, these smaller films that were coming out this spring that mm. feel like they just got totally swallowed up by the coronavirus like the oscars are a way for movies even i think in the like nether region of streaming to get attention and i think the oscars could be a really positive opportunity to be like listen everything sucks this is a shitty way to release a movie no one likes that this is a circumstance but here is how we are going to build a platform for your movie to find the people who want to pay attention to it um and for me who obsesses over like you know how oscar buzz builds out of fall festivals like it's going to change all of that math completely that'll be fascinating but it's i think be awesome. it's really valuable i mean it'd be awesome and maybe not awesome who knows what happens maybe why wouldn't it be awesome why wouldn't it be awesome to see the complete disruption of of the system like what will win the oscar this year what will come out and be able to win the oscar probably a netflix movie this is probably a coup for netflix um maybe it's interesting or Or it might be a bad affleck's year everyone's or everyone's sick of watching Netflix and they want to go see movies in the theaters and West Side Story wins. I don't know. And I like, I don't mind like old structures being shaken up. Although I think, you know, if you're someone whose like livelihood depends on the Toronto Film Festival, it's like that's, it's a scary prospect. Um, but I think that it gives an opportunity for new narratives to emerge. And I think that the Oscars can be really important and it, they're having their, um, board of governors meeting next week. Um, I imagine this is something that they'll talk about. I think this the idea that like, oh, well, we got to cancel the Oscars. There won't be enough movies. Like, I think that would be really devastating. And I'm really hoping that some other alternative can come out instead. Movies have come out. That's a, that if they cancel the Oscars, the Oscars are a sham. The Oscars <laughs> are an absolute fucking sham. Own it. Wait, 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 wait. Movies have come out. Movies have come out. Yeah, but award think, those movies or else. Sure. Every every year really- there's a reason we're yelling at the Academy why they're a sham. I don't think this year they're going to be swayed by movies have come out. <laughs> like give give the Oscar to give, give it to somebody. I made a movie. Ben Affleck in the way back. You cowards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say. There's you can't cancel the Oscars this year. Movies have come out. What is the argument? I mean that the entire movie industry is in free fall and like it's un- like you can't assess the year in film appropriately because so many of the movies didn't get a chance to open. You that- can't give it a chance for Netflix to sweep every single award and then prove that like your entire industry is based on a lie. Get out of the way for Mank. Mank is here. Yes, wow, Mank we- 2020. It'll save us. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a fucking election. Ah, fuck. I'm not even. I don't oh, even yeah, want. Fuck the winter, man. Uh, maybe I'm with. No, maybe maybe I'm reversing myself on this. Maybe what I I don't know what mood I'm going to be in next January. If uh, I day is election up, day. Like, what November? What election? what day is? The- I don't know. November eighth. That's first the Tuesday. Yeah, November. Whatever. Uh, November third. It's early. Oh, then Black Widow comes out right after the election. 
That'll get Sweet. Her, It'll her be her just like Doctor Strange. Anyway, <laughs> not important. What the fuck, Oscars? <laughs> I mean, the Oscars haven't done anything. Just like Oscars, please do the right thing. Be the Oscars. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Way to make it work. Wow, Bad Boys for Life, the number one grossing movie of 2020. That does it for this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week. David should be back in one piece. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightingintheworld.com. You can listen to the episodes. If you're at home, you can download them. If you're at home, you can share them with your friends, but don't get too close. I'm Dave Gonzalez, the only Dave on the podcast this week. <laughs> uh, reproducing was a mistake, wasn't it, Ehrlich? Who do I? He's not listening. You could leave us a review on iTunes. We'll read it on the show. David will read it. Uh, you can also listen to another podcast I have the only David on. It's called The Storm, a Lost Rewatch Podcast. We are up uh, to the end of season two. We're going to finish out season two with the month of April start season three the month of may we are going to keep going regularly quarantine or no quarantine hatch or no hatch that's the store of a lost rewatch podcast uh and i'm katie rich you can find me at vanityfair.com and on the little gold men podcast as previously mentioned we watched ordinary people this week we'll probably do some of this uh hand-wringing about the oscars that i just did so uh come back for that uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us about a lot of things, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of all this, what's the most bingeable TV show? And thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Next week.